Good morning, Vineyard Church. How are you guys doing this morning? My name's Jack. If we haven't yet met, uh, I'm the lead pastor here. So glad you joined us this morning at the Vineyard. If there's anything um, my staff can do for you or myself, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate uh, to ask. We're gonna continue our series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Making Great Decisions. And you know, um, when you think about it, a life can kind of be summed up with a bunch of decisions. Some decisions good, some better than others. Um, and then every now and then we just make some really bad ones, don't we? If you're like me, uh, you just make some, some whopper bad ones. And over a lifetime, we'll make thousands, maybe even millions of important decisions that really matter. We all wanna make great decisions. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a church person, a person of faith, or not. Everybody wants to make a great decision. Whatever arena of life you're in, you wanna make a great decision. But unfortunately, we've made some bad ones, and we can't take it back, can we? How many of you have ever made a bad decision? Show of hands. Okay, most people, now I noticed a few of you don't have your hands up. So that means that you are lying in church, and that's just a bad decision right there in itself. So you have now joined the ranks of the rest of us as someone who has made a bad decision. Congratulations. Maybe for you, your bad decision was that you took something that didn't belong to you. Maybe you lied to your spouse. Maybe you're still lying to your spouse. Maybe you hurt someone. Maybe you're hiding uh, an addiction. Uh, maybe your bad decision was that you broke a promise to somebody that you care about. Maybe you said something in anger, and just as you said it, you wished you could take it back, but it was already out there resounding in time and space, and there was, there was no taking it back. And in these kinds of situations, we wish we could get a do-over. We wish we could turn back time, but we can't. The reality is that we can't go back and change the past. We can't erase the decisions that we regret. And today I wanna to talk to you about living with regret and what do you do with that regret? The regret of making a bad decision. Some people will say, well, just, just forget about it. Just move on. T time will heal all wounds. But we know that's not true. Other people say, you know, just do enough good to balance out the bad, and everything will kind of, you know, the karma will, will reset, and everything will be all right but that doesn't work either. And it seems like these decisions that we regret will just, they just kind of reach out from our past and come to our present and say kind of like, hey, remember me. And they just seem to show up in many different ways. So what works? What works when it comes to a decision we regret? Well, I'm gonna look at a guy in the Bible today He's a guy who is living with regret. And his name's Peter. Many of you have heard of Peter. He may be one of the most famous disciples uh, of Jesus. Um, very recognizable. Jesus invested a lot in Peter. Jesus handpicked Peter. Uh, he called him to follow him. He, um, he trained him. 
He, he rebuked him. He, he forgave him. Um, one time, Peter's mother-in-law was really sick and Jesus healed her. And, and so Peter and Jesus have this really special relationship. They're besties. They're good buddies. And as a result of this relationship, Peter makes a, a really big statement one day. He says, Jesus, if everyone else leaves you, I will never leave you. If everyone else distances themselves from you, um, I will never do that. Even if it costs me my life. You can count on me, Jesus. I will always be there. I will always be loyal. I will always have your back, no matter what. Now let's look at what happened to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to that. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. 54. If not, we'll have it on the screens for you behind me. It says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the uh, house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So Peter's already following at a distance, and now he's kind of hiding out around this fire, this campfire. And I want you to kind of remember that campfire because it, it comes into play later. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. So Peter denies Jesus three times. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I can't even imagine that moment. You've just denied Jesus three times, and then he looks right at you, and your eyes lock. And in that moment, Peter knew he had messed up. In that moment, it, Peter wanted to be able to take it back, but he couldn't. And that's when the regret comes. Like many of us, we regret a decision we've made. What have I done? Can I, can I just wake up from this nightmare and, and have it be over? I want to take it all back. I didn't mean it really. But what's done is done. And we can't turn back time. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. That's a broken man with regret. A man full of regret. And in that moment, he's carrying the weight and the pain of regret that so many people do in their lives. Maybe some of you here today are carrying the weight and pain of regret. And if you are, what can you do about it? Well, let's look at how Jesus responds to Peter. And here's the context. We're going to fast forward a little bit. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. 
There's a 40-day period where Jesus appears to a lot of different people. He's already appeared to the disciples a couple of times. And he's in his glorified body. So sometimes people recognize him, but other times they don't. And this is the 40 days before he ascends uh, back to heaven to be with the Father. So we pick it up in John chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, uh, Nathaniel, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So some of the boys are together. And verse 3, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now when Peter says, I'm going out to fish, that statement is just full of regret. It's full of regret. Remember, remember Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has completed his mission. He's demonstrated his power over death and now it's time to spread that good news. Now it's time to share that gospel with anyone who will listen. Now it's time to go out and, 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 and ask people if they'll follow Jesus. But that's not what these guys are doing. They're just out there. They're kind of hunkered down and Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to the life that I knew before I met Jesus. I'm going back to fishing. What I know, where I'm comfortable, what feels safe, something that I know I won't fail at, something I know I can do. I failed with Jesus, now I'm going back to what I know. Here's a question. Does that sound familiar? It certainly does to me. You don't need to raise your hands, but I think many of us in this room can relate. And I think because Peter's a natural leader, he takes all the professional fishermen with him. All the guys who were fishermen before they met Jesus, they go with them. And I do the same thing. We do the same thing. We make a decision that we regret and we run to something that feels safe. Something that's familiar, something without risk, something that was pre-Jesus for those of us who follow Jesus. Maybe it's an old habit that we run back to. Maybe it's a, an, uh, a group of friends that, that we know just aren't good for us. Maybe we, um, we go and work more hours or we go shopping. Maybe we start to self-medicate Maybe there's a, a person who we start to avoid uh, or a small group of people who really know us well and we just kind of distance ourselves and disconnect from that relationship because we know that they'll see right through us and they'll call us into more because they love us. We go on the run. We go fishing. So Peter fishes all night. How many fish does he catch? Zero. No fish. Isn't that interesting? These guys are pros. 
They know what they're doing. They've got the right equipment. They know where the fish hang out. Zero fish all night long. And the problem is that when we run from God, it doesn't work. When we run from him, we remove ourselves from his will in our lives. And in two weeks, I'm gonna talk about how to kind of discern his will in our lives when we make our decisions. So we remove ourselves from that and it just doesn't work. Because on the run, we can't be healed. On the run, we can't be transformed. On the run, we can't be changed. And that's what Peter's doing. He's running. He's running to what he knows. And he catches nothing. So now he's stuck, isn't he? Now he's in quite a quandary. Hey, I failed with Jesus, and now I've failed with the only thing I know how to do. What do I do now? John chapter 21, verse four, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, hey, you caught any fish? Now, I used to fish a lot with my dad growing up. I'm, I'm not much of a fisherman. When, when we go to Canada, I like to, I like to go there and fish because you catch a lot of fish. I like to catch fish, but I don't like to fish. And so um, there's nothing worse than being out there fishing for a long time and somebody comes walking up along the shore, you know, hey, have you caught anything? And you haven't. It's just, you don't, you don't even want to look at them, you know? And so it's interesting because Jesus says, you caught any fish? He knows they haven't caught any fish. He's Jesus. And he's saying, look, you've been out there all night. You're professionals. And in other words, what he's saying is, how are things working on the run? How are things working with you in control? How are things working now that you've removed me from the equation? How's your marriage? How are your relationships? How's work going? How are your finances? Do they, do they bring you anxiety or do they bring you peace? now that you've removed me from the equation. How's it going on your own without me? Have you caught any fish? And you gotta give the guys credit because they give them one simple answer, no. I love that answer. I think in that answer, the guys are coming to the end. They've stopped running because they give no excuses. None of, no, you know, no blaming others, no pointing fingers. If, if only this would have happened or only that person would have treated me this way or if only I would have got a chance or if only I, I would have had more money or made more money or my boss wasn't so this. Then, like many of us do, we make excuses. No rationalizing, just a simple no. And I think that no is so important because they have the courage to be authentic and honest. And until we are authentic and honest with the poor decisions that we've made, we can't get healed up from them. 
We have to stop running. But when we do that, when we're honest with ourselves, when we're honest with God, and I think when we're honest with at least one other person, we crack that door of our heart open just enough so Jesus can do a miracle. He can do a work in us. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll take away the regret. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And another word for that word healed is restored, so that you may be restored. But we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with God, and we have to be honest with others. What regrets did you walk in here today with? I don't care what it is. It's not too big for Jesus. But you've got to stop running. And so it's as if Jesus is saying, well, that's life without me. You tried it. Let me give you a picture of what things could be if you'll bring me back into the picture. Let me give you uh, an idea of what life can be if you'll, if you'll invite me into your pain and into your regrets and if you'll be authentic and honest with me. This is what he says. Check this out. In verse six, he says, throw your net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Now, this would have seemed ridiculous to these guys. These guys are professionals. This isn't a giant, you know, carnival cruise ship. There's not that much distance between the left side of the boat and the right side of the boat. I mean, the fish don't know. It might be four or five, six feet difference. And so Jesus is asking them to, to haul in those big nets, all that work, you know, and then to untangle them, and then to set them, and then put them on the other side. And if you'll do that, you'll catch fish. And sometimes Jesus simply asks us to obey, to trust him and obey him. And we can either argue with him, or we can do what he says. For these guys, this made no sense, but they do it. You gotta love their hearts. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because a large number of, of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, then, I love this. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, verse seven, said to Peter. Now remember, the guy who's writing this is John. And so he's saying, hey, by the way, I'm the one that Jesus really loved and this is what I said. It's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> he says, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, jumped into the water, and what did he do? He ran to Jesus. He ran to Jesus. I have regrets, I've failed him, I've tried to go back to what I know, that didn't work. I only know one thing to do. I'm running back to you. Because it's the Lord. 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And I think that's significant. When Peter denied Jesus three times, it was around a fire. And now Jesus is about to restore Peter, and it's around a fire. Jesus said to them, bring some, some of the fish you've caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Of course they counted. They used to count all the time. That was their business. But even with so many in the net, it, it wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know what's amazing about this story? When Peter is most vulnerable, when he's run out of trail to run on, when he's come to the end of himself, Jesus blesses him. Jesus responds to him with kindness. He cooks him breakfast. He could have rebuked him. There were times when he did rebuke him. Peter was rebuked often, but this wasn't one of those times. And that's grace. And grace has nothing to do with any bad decision you've ever made, and grace has nothing to do with any good decision you've ever made. And grace has nothing to do with any bad decision you will make. And grace has nothing to do with any great decision you will make. Grace has only to do with the character of a loving father in heaven who wants so desperately to be in relationship with his kids. And he's made a way for that to happen in spite of me and in spite of you. He blesses him. He extends grace. And that's the character of God. I want to read you a story of grace written by Tony Campolo. Tony is about 84 years old. He's, a, he's an author, a pastor, an a advisor, spiritual advisor to many a sociologist. He tells a story about leaving the East Coast and flying to Hawaii and the jet lag and the time change has him all messed up and he wakes up and he's walking around at three in the morning looking for a diner, looking for some place to eat, something that's open at three in the morning in Hawaii and he, and he finds this diner. And I can just imagine it's probably not a very, a very nice place. And this is what he wrote. He says, as I sat there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open. And to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place. 
And I was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman sitting beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her, her friend responded in a nasty tone. So what do you want from me? What do you want from me? You want, you want a birthday party? What do you want? You want me to make you a cake? You want me to sing you a song, happy birthday? Come on, said the woman. Why do, you, why do you have to be so mean? I'm just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it's my birthday. I, I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should anyone give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the woman had left. Then I called over the guy from behind the counter and I asked him, do they come here every night? Yeah, he answered. What about the one next to me? Does she come here every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. She comes here every night. Why, why do you want to know? Well, I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. I told him, what do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? He said, that's a great idea. He, he told his wife. She said, that's wonderful. She said, you know, Agnes is one of those people who, who's really nice and kind, and nobody's ever really nice or kind to her. Look, I told him, if it's okay with you, I'll, I'll come back here tomorrow about 2.30 in the morning, and, and I'll decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations, made a big sign out of cardboard that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had the diner looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everything ready. And when they came in, we all screamed, happy birthday. Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her and, and she was and led her to one of the stools by the counter and we sang happy birthday. As we came to the end of our singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened a little bit. Then when the birthday cake with all the candles lit on it was carried out, she lost it and openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going I'm to have to blow out the candles. And after an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her, cut the cake, Agnes. Come on, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. Then without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, Look, Harry, it, it, if it's all right with you, I mean, if, if it's okay, you know, I, I kind of, well, what I want to ask is, is it okay if I, if I keep the cake? Just a little while? I mean, is it okay if we don't eat it right away? 
Harry shrugged and answered, Sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I just lived down the street a couple doors. I want to take the cake home and show it to my mother. I'll be right back, I promise, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carried it like it was the Holy Grail. Walked slowly toward the door. As we all stood there motionless, she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back now, it seemed more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner at Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But I just felt like it was the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. And I prayed that God would be good to her. And I prayed that her life would somehow be changed. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and said, Hey, you never told me you was a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And in one of those moments, when the right words seemed to come, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment, then he answered, no, you don't. No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Grace. That's grace. When you hit bottom, when you've run as far as you can run, when you've run out of trail, Jesus throws you a party. He blesses you. And that's what he's doing here with Peter. He's not saying to Peter what you did is okay. He's not, I'm not saying that, that it didn't hurt. He's not saying that there, there won't be, you know, maybe some consequences. But he's saying that if you ask me, I'll forgive you. And only Jesus can do this because of the work he did on the cross. He dealt with all of our bad decisions, all of our regret, and he's the only one that can deal with it. It's hard to stop running. It's hard to let Jesus love you when you're carrying so much regret for a decision that you made that you know is wrong. It takes courage. It takes humility. It takes surrender. It takes owning up. And like Peter, you gotta stop running away from him and you gotta run toward him. Well, let's finish up. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The Bible says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. 
You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why three times? Why around a campfire? Jesus is walking Peter back through that decision of regret and restoring him. And I believe that from the moment Jesus rose from the dead, he intended to restore Peter. We get a little hint when Mary Magdalene and the other ladies went to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there and the man there, I'm pretty sure it was an angel, said to them, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. That was a message from Jesus. Jesus, from the moment he rose, intended to restore Peter. From the moment he rose from the dead, he intended to restore all of us, all of humanity. That was his mission. And when he tells Peter, feed my lambs, there's, there's incredible meaning in this and significance. What it means is your past doesn't have to define you. There's still a place for you in my kingdom. You can still be the leader, Peter, that I know you to be. Whatever's happened to you doesn't have to define you. I see people wrestle with this all the time. I can't serve in the church. I can't lead. You know, I can't even be a part of a small group. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how long I've been running. God could never use me. I could never pray for somebody. Are you kidding me? But here's the deal. God doesn't erase your past. He doesn't erase it. He redeems it. Whenever Satan overplays his hand, God will take that and spin it and use it for his purposes. That's why a leader worth following is a leader with a limp. God will use your past for his purposes if you'll let him. Pastor Larry Osborne likes to say, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. I love that. Because I'm a crooked stick. I look out here and I see some crooked sticks. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. So today what I want to do is take communion together. And I'd like you to just go to the stations with the elements. There's two in the back, or two in the front, one in the back. And, and just take the, the bread and the juice and go back to your seat. And then we're going to take communion together. But what I want you to do during this communion time is I, if, there, if you have a regret, something that you haven't asked Jesus to forgive and you haven't given over to him, um, I just want to challenge you to do it to do it today. And for you, it, it might be significant to go back there to our prayer area and get some special prayer from our team. We also have a cross back there and, and I think this would be a perfect time to, to write those regrets on a sticker and, and put them on the cross to just signify that I am, and I'm giving this to you, Jesus. I'm giving this regret to you. Take it and use it for your purposes. 
So go ahead and do that right now.